Hear the word of God from the beginning of First Thessalonians. <clears throat> Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescue, rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Waypoint Church. My name is Eric Weiner. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to be in your presence this morning. Uh, yesterday, as I was, uh, I was finishing up the sermon, I uh, came upstairs to my kids, and my oldest daughter asked if I was done working on my sermon, and I said, I am. Do you want to hear it? And she said, no, that would be too long. And so... Uh, if that's you this morning, then uh, there's doors all around this room. Uh, you're welcome to, to step out. Um, today, today we're concluding our three-part series on, on Waypoint's vision and mission. And so I just want us to take a moment to, uh, to, to look back over what we've, what we've talked about so far. And so two, two weeks ago, Pastor Danny uh, reminded us of the very basis of our church, which is the gospel. The gospel is our foundation it's core to, to who we are. It's core to, to how our, our understanding of who we are and, and our understanding of what God is doing in the world. The triune God has established a relationship with sinful people and has worked in human history through his son Jesus to make all things new. That's what he's at work to do now. That's what he's using his church for now. He's making us new. He's making all things new. Last week, Pastor Lawrence honed in on how God is calling us to advance his kingdom here in the triangle and beyond. We desire to see the whole world come under Jesus' rule on earth as it is in heaven. That's not our idea. We get that from, from God through his word. Our twofold purpose is to be a preview of the coming kingdom and to advance God's reign here on earth. And so Waypoint Church exists to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples of every tribe, tongue, and nation for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. That's what we're here for. That's what we're about. That's what we're, that's what we're seeking. That's what we desire. Now, this morning, our topic is gospel community. And so I want us to consider how should we live together for the gospel's sake? Not for my sake. Not for your sake. 
but in a manner that honors our king. We have a king. Did you know that? His name is Jesus. And we live our lives for him, for his sake. Pastor Ray Ortland says, By the power of God, the gospel creates something new in the world today. I mean, the gospel is it's not static, right? It's doing something. It doesn't leave things how they are. It creates not just a new community, but a new kind of community. Gospel-centered churches are living proof that the good news is true. That Jesus is not a theory, but is real as he gives back to us our humanness. You see, what Ortland is saying is that the way Christians live among each other ought to be living proof that the gospel is real. In fact, it sings. That it actually forms a new society of people who live as God intended, and it's growing, and it's attractive. I mean, have you ever, have you ever read a book or, or watched a movie and thought, man, that is so, I, I, I want to experience that. I want to be a part of that. The gospel, the kingdom of God, it's like that. People look at it and they say, I, I, want, I want to be a part of that. That's beautiful. What God is doing in the world today is beautiful. And it's happening in and through us. Now, a church's failure to live like this doesn't make the gospel untrue. It's not, it's not based on how we do. It's not our performance. It's what God has already done. It's, it, it, a, a church that fails to, to live under the power of God, it just shows what a community looks like when they receive the power of God and yet chosen to look elsewhere for strength. Our church should be a light shining into the dark places of the triangle. A real and tangible witness that the kingdom of God is not only on the horizon, but that people can enter in at this very moment through faith in Christ. You see, we live in an exciting world, and yet it grows dull to us because we've lost our sense of God. People have lost their sense of God. And so people are constantly looking for things to excite them again. I mean, when you, when you leave these doors, you will find yourself once again thrust into a world that makes the gospel seem muddled, confusing, obsolete, unimportant. But being among the family of God reminds us of what's true. It's where we remember our true identity and are reminded of the future God promises us. It's among the people of God that we profess our God reigns. Our God heals. Our God saves. Our God makes new. And what he has already begun, he will do to completion. When people wake up to this and live for his kingdom, it's like a new world order coming into being right before our very eyes. That's what it should feel like encountering Christian community. This new world order just thrusting upon them. Do you, do you guys understand? Do you, do you know what I mean by that? This is, have you ever stumbled upon a world that you didn't know existed before? I mean, I, I'll, I'll never forget this. One, one time when I was in college, I was walking down this pathway. Uh, for, for those of you who are familiar with UNC's campus, in between uh, Wilson Library and the undergraduate library, I'm just, I'm just walking, head, headed to class, uh, just a normal day. And all of a sudden, I, I hear yelling. And so I look behind me. And I see this guy. He's sprinting right at me. And so my instinct is just to, to sidestep out of the way. And just as, as I'm seeing this guy, like, I, 
I've never actually seen somebody who's running for their life up close like that. This guy's just, he's just sprinting. And there's these people, I notice, there's these people that are behind him chasing him. Right? And as this is happening, I, I'm just so confused. Like, what, what in the world is going on? And so as, as, as I'm looking, uh, there, there are a few things that, that stood out to me that were very strange. The first thing is, this guy was in flip-flops. Like, where, where, what, what is going on? And they, they just fling off his feet. And he doesn't stop. He's just like, he's just, he's just sprinting. I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of weird. Like, this is a strange sight. The second thing, and this, this is going to get even stranger for you. He's throwing socks at them. Like, he's just, he's just chucking socks as he's running. And I'm thinking, like, should I, like, should I do something? Should I, is this, is this appropriate? Like, what, what in the world is going on? Well, after, after talking to, uh, to a few, few people, some friends, uh, just kind of navigating this conversation, I'm going to put this, uh, this picture on the screen for you. Uh, what, what it turns out is they are playing this game called Humans versus Zombies. It's a game of tag. Apparently, uh, it's, it's a, a, this big phenomenon, at least when I was in, in college. Uh, human players must re- remain vigilant and defend themselves with socks and dark blasters to avoid being tagged by a growing zombie horde. And so that's, that's what I was witnessing uh, that, that day. And so I'll just, you know, it, it's, it's comforting to know, okay, like, you know, just, just let it happen. Like, just, you know, if you're, if you're ever driving around a college campus, pedestrians, be, be vigilant. Watch out for them. You don't know what college kids are doing. Um, and so the, these people, they were just being who they are. I mean, they're just participating in a community that, that, that's strange to me. Like, I, I thought this was weird. But coming into contact with this community has some kind of bearing on my own context. I mean, I, now I knew I, I, had to be, I had to be vigilant, too, even though I wasn't even playing. Like, somebody could just run into me because they're, they're just trying to avoid zombies, which I didn't know were on campus. But the point, the point that I'm trying to make is that through your life, through the witness of the church, the gospel is becoming proximate to people. When people encounter the body of Christ, they are encountering the ongoing presence of Jesus in our world today. In our case, there's a beautiful collision between the culture of Raleigh-Durham and the kingdom of God. And that's happening through us. And so we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians 1 this morning and consider what Paul commends about this gospel community in Thessalonica. And as we do that, I want us to remember what's true about our own community and what God has called us to today. G.K. Beale says, Paul gives thanks for the Thessalonians because he discerns in them the traits of authentic Christian living. And so we owe it to ourselves to try to learn from them. And the first thing that I see here in, in 1 Thessalonians 1 is that first, we're to be a grace-filled community. We are to be a community that is filled, that's being poured out. God's grace is being poured out upon us. As you heard this, this opening section of chapter 1 read, I, I want you to hear some of these, these word choices because the, this community is described in a unique way. At least not, not in a way that, that uh, we, we typically describe churches today. And it happened, it happened so fast. I mean, David just, just read that. I mean, he didn't read fast, but you're, just, you're probably not even thinking about, what am I talking about? So, so I'm going to read it to you again. And it says in, in verse 1, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there, there are lots of different kinds of communities in our world today, right? There are lots of different kinds of communities that were present in, in Paul's day, in first century Thessalonica. I mean, you've got Jewish communities, Gentile communities, all different kinds of religious communities, pagan deities, family structures. But what makes this community distinct? What makes it stand out? You see it right there in verse 1. God's church is living in Thessalonica, but they are alive in God. In our case, we live in the triangle. That's our location, but we live in Christ. Christ is alive in us. Christ is living in this place among us through this people, through this body. He's doing it. I mean, that, that's the whole ballgame. Christ takes up residence in you. I mean, this is similar to the words of, of Jesus in John's gospel when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the example we see in Thessalonica is that Jesus' words prove to be true. Why? Because God has worked powerfully in them. And because God loves them. Verse 4 says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. That's their status. They are centered around the God who loves them. Paul sees the grace poured out upon this community. Union with God. Loved by God. It is from God that Christian community derives its life, its strength, its stability. What makes belonging in Christian, Christian community so unique? That the God who made all things has looked at you in your humble estate and decided from long ago that you would be his beloved. That you are accepted by God on the merits of his son. And you are called to live all of life from this place of acceptance. Many of us look at God and think, how, how can I live in a way that will be earning this acceptance? He says, no, 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 no. I've already earned this for you. I've given this to you. Now you're called to live in light of that. I used to work at a restaurant that encouraged generosity. And as their employee, I was in a position to be an extension of that generosity. And this, this, was, this, was, this was fun. I mean, literally, I could, I could walk around. I felt like at any moment I could say, you know what, I'm going I'm to comp your meal. And it was awesome. It was awesome. It wasn't my penny. It was theirs. But they wanted me to do it. Right? And this was especially beneficial when people had some kind of issue with their food. I mean, you mess with somebody's food, you get, you get somebody's food wrong, you become their mortal enemy. Right? Like, there, there is no, nothing worse that you could do. I mean, you can, you can see it as, as they're coming up to you. You can already be like, all right, I know it's coming here. You can see it in their body language. They're like, they're, they're kind of, their body's just kind of clenched up, they're, they're flustered. But because my employee, employer desired to be generous and empowered me to be generous, I was able to work from a place of love and kindness. And so I could, I could genuinely say to them, wow, we really got that wrong. I'm so sorry. But you know what? I would love to exceed your expectations in making this right. Can I help you? And I could do that because the heart and nature of my relationship with the employer. I knew that their intent was I knew what their intent was, and I was given the means to act accordingly. I was an extension of their generosity, and it could just flow from me. 
So what does a life marked by God's grace look like? What does it look like for us if we know that God, God intends to be gracious? What will flow out of us when we, we are the ones who are recipients of the grace, but then the grace flows from us? Well, it says in verse 3, verse 3 tells us, it's work produced by faith. It's labor prompted by love. It's endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the distinctives of grace that are being worked in us, that flow out of us. This is how we should be growing. In faith, in love, in hope. These are the things that that should be characteristic of our community. What characteristics do you tend to look for in a healthy church community, in a healthy Christian community? Is it the presence of a dynamic teacher? Or is it a particular program? Or is it the style of worship? What if we started evaluating our community based on our receptivity to the grace God wants to pour out upon us? Are we a people that rest in a posture ready to receive what God has to offer? Here's what people filled with God's grace look like. They have a growing trust in God's work for them. That's our faith. They have a love that labors to make God's love visible toward others. That's the labor of love. And they have a confidence that Jesus is their future. That's the hope. That's the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now those all might sound obvious, but let's not assume we're knocking this out of the park. If God desires to be gracious to us, let's prepare our hearts to receive it. Because in receiving it, God is marking us as his own. Authentic Christian community is growing in grace that produces faith, love, and hope. We need to be a grace-filled community. Second, we're to be a gospel-formed community. Gospel-formed. We, we constantly look for subtle ways to make improvement in our lives. I mean, don't we? Aren't we always looking for ways to just make these little fixes, make things a little better? But the gospel is at once transformative. It's an entirely different category. And so what does the gospel really do to people? It does something. It changes. How does it work? And what results can we really expect? First, how does it work? Paul gives us a pattern here in verses 5 through 8. First, he says in verse 5, our gospel came to you. Our gospel came to you. It came with words, with power, and with conviction. In other words, the, the message that came to them was backed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Their message was taken not as mere words from man, but as the very words of God. Like God, God is at work among, among us. And so we want to listen to this. Second, their response, the response of this community is surprising. I mean, you have a bunch of Gentiles hear the message of a Jewish Messiah come to save the world from sin. That, that sounds foreign. It sounds strange. I mean, what do you expect people to say about a message like that? Well, they, their response is, is like yours. We see this in verse 6, and he says, they welcomed the message. He says, for you welcomed this message, this message from God. Paul's with them for a few weeks, and these people chose to forsake their lives to be part of building this new community, this new kingdom that God is bringing about. Their, their social environment was hostile to the gospel. It wasn't advantageous for them. It didn't elevate them in their careers or give them merit among their neighbors. 
But what it did give them was joy. They had joy. What God was doing in them was real. And so they became a model to all throughout the regions of Greece. The gospel became something they embodied. And this way of life became a pattern for others to follow. They imitated the life of Paul and their Lord. And when we today imitate the faith of those in our community, those who aim to follow the apostolic teaching, our lives begin to take the shape of the faith of the saints of old. And their lives were being transformed into the likeness of their Savior, Jesus. And so is ours. So are we. G.K. Beale says, Our lives have a purpose oriented beyond ourselves, beyond our own holiness and well-being. We are to become molds for others who are not Christians or who are younger Christians than we are. The essence of discipleship is imitation. We need to remember that people learn from models caught as well as ideas taught. That means we need to, we need to preach the word. We also need to spend time together. We need to be seeking the word. We need, to, we need to be growing in it together. And so the gospel came to them with power. They received it. They embodied it. It became their way of life. And then verse 8 says, the message rang out. The Lord's message rang out from you. Literally nowhere else in the New Testament does this word for, for rang out occur. This is this echoing out. The message reverberated throughout the surrounding hillsides of the Greek world. This imagery, it, 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 it reminds me of this time that my friend left the Georgia Dome because the, the, the game that he was watching, he thought, he thought that the co- conclusion was already decided. So he, so he leaves the building. But as he exits the stadium, he could hear the unison of the crowd roaring, meaning things were changing. Something unexpected was happening, and, and he, he kind of gave up on the team. And so he turns back and darts past the security guards to go watch what was going on. I want to see us lose. But the point is, seeing the roaring, the roaring of the crowd, I mean, it was probably echoing from the stadium for miles. And it was so, so exciting. And apparently the gospel, it makes a similar noise when his people are being changed by it. What's happening is a new kind of community is bursting on the scene. I mean, can't you just picture, can't you just, can't you just hear the echoes just roaring out? Just roaring out, ringing out from the building. Just echoing for miles. The message of the gospel. It's a sight to behold. And others are coming to see it. Two, what does it produce? What does it produce? Heaven on earth. That's what the gospel is producing. When you welcome the gospel, it produces a people marked by faith, love, and hope. The gospel doesn't come to a resting point. It spreads. It sings. What has come to you must ring out from you. And it doesn't just happen with one voice. It's a whole community being shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ. I've been talking about this, this formula with our, with our community group leaders and in our new member classes over this past year. And it's a, it's a formula for community that I picked up from this, this book called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ by Ray Ortland. And it's, it's really simple. It's gospel plus safety plus time. Gospel plus safety plus time forms a community where anyone can grow. And if we trust the pattern spelled out here by Paul, 
We should expect our reception of the gospel to produce something in us that will do something through us, that will impact others around us. And so gospel, we all need to immerse ourselves in the gospel from Genesis to Revelation on a regular basis. I mean, we need a steady diet of what's true. We need to hear it again and again and again. Good news for bad people that leads to our surrender and turning from idols to worship the one true God. Safety. We want to create safe environments of mutual respect, love, support, and care where no one seeking the Lord has anything to fear. No shaming, no condemnation, no one-upmanship, but patience, listening, seeking understanding. We don't require this kind of unburdening. I mean, that, that would seem to defeat the whole purpose. But we want to create these spaces where people could walk in the light alongside other brothers and sisters, which can be difficult, if we're honest, when you put sinful people in a room together, which is why we need to give our time. And we need, we need to play the long game here because real change, real change takes time Relationships are hard, and people like us can be fickle. We change our minds left and right. But we're willing to invest our time because we believe that the gospel is true, and we believe the power of God at work among us. And so we trust Him. This is why I really believe in community groups, which, which by the way, signups are happening next week. This is the start of this, this new uh, ministry cycle. It's, it's next week, right after service. And so maybe, maybe some of you are skeptical of this. So maybe this reframe will, will help you. Community groups, as I see it, are a spiritual discipline, like reading your Bible is a spiritual discipline. Being in these environments, being in these spaces, it's, it's formational. I mean, you, you can easily turn it into a checklist item. You can say, all right, check, did that. Wasn't great, but I still went. Or you can treat it as a helpful part of your spiritual growth. Being in these groups is not required. You don't have to do it. But we do want you to consider how you can pursue Christian community because one of the most crucial venues for discipleship takes place in in community alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, my impression has been that that people assume that, that community will just happen and it'll be easy. And it can be. But the more I do this, the rarer I think that really is. Most often it takes work. And if it's not taking work for you, it probably is for someone else. Which is a tough sell because there there are so many factors that are working against us here. I mean, we talk about community, but we we live in a city where we we all feel scattered. And it's so easily to be isolated from each other. I mean, some of us, we have a million kids and just getting in the car one more time just feels exhausting. (laughs) It's frustrating when you're committed, but other people just aren't. So you're like, is this, does this really matter? Is this even worth it? Then there's the, the busyness factor. We're, we're all already so busy, and we have long days, and I get it. At least I think I do. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to relate to you. I mean, I have a full-time job. I work a side, side job on Fridays. I'm in a doctoral program right now. I have a wife and three kids. I'm about to start, start coaching Little League soccer. And there's probably still other things that I have to do. You guys are, I mean, uh, keeping up with you is crazy. 
I don't know if I can do it. And it's important. It's important for us to remember that some of us are busy by choice. Others of us are busy by circumstance. For those who are busy by choice, you're, you're choosing that, those things. Others of us, there are, there are circumstances where you just, you probably wish you could be in community. But life is just, you, you, you can't even breathe. We need to know the difference. The other month, someone asked me, what's a spiritual discipline that you're engaged in that is hard to practice, but it's totally worth it? And I told him, being a part of a community group, which maybe is a little surprising because I'm in charge of the community groups. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, regularly gathering in smaller groups of believers for the purpose of mutual encouragement and growth is hard to build, and it's hard to maintain. It's not impossible. It's just not easy. And it's definitely not the easiest thing. I mean, one time, one time our group, we had, we had to cancel because of, of sickness. And, and truly, it was easier not to have it. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have to host anyone. We didn't have to adjust our day. It felt like I had more time to do what I wanted. But you know what? The cost of missing it was not worth the convenience. It wasn't worth the convenience. That, that's my hot take. Here I stand, Okay. And here's why. I don't know if these people are aware of this, but the people in my community group, the Lord has been using them in my life to form me into Christ-likeness. I, I really believe that. When, when one of them tells me how he's been weighing what it means to deny himself for the sake of the cross. I mean, that, 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 that draws me back in. I mean, there, there's no rivalry. There's no who sounds more Christian. It's genuine excitement. He doesn't know I'm thinking this, but in my mind I'm thinking, wow, this is real for you. This is real for me too. We want this. And it's encouraging. There's a spurring on. There's a, there's a change that's going on. They, they're growing my heart for the Lord in this church when they offer unique, unique ways for me to pray into their lives. I mean, for some of them, I've gotten to bear witness to their first years of marriage. And I cherish that. What a gift. For some, I've gotten to experience deep emotional hurts alongside them. And I count it as joy that we might suffer together rather than alone. For some of them, I've gotten to witness them excel in their job for the Lord's sake. And I I praise God for getting to cheer them on. Sure, I, I could have a free Wednesday evening to myself. But it's just not worth it to me anymore. That's the choice that I'm I'm making. The courage they give me, the patience they extend to me, the love they've shown me. It's not perfect. But yeah, let's be honest. Hulu and Netflix can wait. Just one night. We live this way because as we do, the hope of God's kingdom is becoming a reality. Think about it this way. This Wednesday night, the kingdom of God is going to be visible from my living room. And I'm excited about it. And there are, there are other pockets around the city where these little kingdom outposts are taking place. And it's growing. It's ringing out. And others are going to be interested to come and see the joyful noise that the gospel makes. I'm telling you, it's, it's not going to be easy. And you don't have to do it. But I want in on that. And so I'm committed. Three, finally, we must be a prayer-committed community. We must be devoted to prayer. We, we know that prayer is a good idea. 
but are we really committed to it? Paul says in verse two, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. The very basis of his introduction, this, this, this whole chapter, is, is an overflow of prayer, thanking God for the work that God has accomplished in and through the church in Thessalonica. For Paul and his travel companions, prayer was one of the ways they communed with God. They didn't pray a little. It says they prayed constantly. They didn't just think they needed God. Their devotion to prayer proves that they believed it. Given the work the Lord had called them to, the work was impossible apart from prayer. Prayer filled them and overflowed from them. I mean, three times in this letter alone, Paul mentions prayers for this church. He offers prayers all throughout his letters, all throughout the New Testament. And sometimes his prayers are just a few words. Sometimes they're this long, run-on sentence. But he's committed to it. He's devoted to it. He knows it's necessary. It's essential. When I was younger in my faith, I, I used to hear people talk a lot more about being guarded in your thought life. I don't hear that as much anymore. I don't know if that's just me, but I, I'm not sure why. I don't know why that is. Why? We are more distracted and overwhelmed than ever before. Our digitized world is constantly vying for our attention. We're always on. We're always attending to something. Always thinking about the past or always looking ahead to the future, always making plans. But we've forgotten that God desires to meet with us in the present. I fear that our age is deficient in prayer and it's showing. And so what, what are you thinking about? Where is your mind running to? What, what governs your thoughts? Because when you're constantly going back and forth all over the place, you're not thinking about being present right here right now I mean each, each morning as, as we begin our day God is with us as his people he is with us and when you declutter your mind from the busyness of life it frees you to commune with the Lord in the present bringing your real to life needs with you to the one who can actually help in fact if we truly desire to see God's kingdom advance and disciples made we should be praying a lot I mean, it's part of how we relate to God. I, I, I wonder what even five minutes, devoting ourselves just, just to five minutes a day, might do. When we remember to thank God for His grace poured out on us. When we enter places where we desire to see His kingdom advance, we pray. Usually we go in and we think, all right, here's all the things that I think we can strategize to do here. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. No. What if, what if instead we started with prayer? And saying, Lord, we're not leading you. You're leading us. And so what do you want to see here? This is how the Lord has called us to live for the gospel's sake. Now in a moment, we're, we're going to enjoy communion together. But before we do that, I want to take a moment to invite you right now to pray together. Usually we just end this time and we just move on. But, but I want you, if we're, if we're really a praying community, then we, should, we shouldn't just talk about it. We need to actually pray. And so if you feel comfortable, I, I want to invite you to, to turn to someone next to you. Or you can pray quietly by yourself. Or if, if you're just not there, you can just, you can just sit quietly and just wait. And just watch, watch the beauty of the kingdom of God speaking to their God.
But as a community, we need to pray. And so the Lord, the Lord is working in your life. Where do you need to turn to him for help right now? Or where have you seen evidence of his grace that you can thank him for? Or you can ask him to continue to grow our community in faith, hope, and love. And so I just want us to take a moment. I'll, I'll end our time, but just, I want to give you some time to just turn. Let, let's pray together. Lord, there is real beauty in this place. God, where where your people are here, their presence, and they're seeking you, God. God, may we continue to grow as a community marked by faith that you have given us, marked by the love that you have shown us. Lord, and, and eager for the hope the future that that awaits us through the work that you have done and are doing. God, I pray that we we would experience your very real help. God, would you continue to minister to us? May, may May we be this united voice, this united community because we, we are the body of Christ. God, we are your living presence today in this world. God, I pray that we would live in a way together for the gospel's sake that honors you. God, may we live worthily, not because we were worthy, but because you, you are worthy and you have made us worthy through your son. God, may we trust you in that. May you deepen us in that. As your word, as your gospel rings out, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At this time of our service, um, we're gonna prepare our hearts for communion. This morning, we join together with our sisters and brothers, Christian sisters and brothers throughout the world, and we partake in what is called the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. 
This is a time when followers of Jesus come together and reflect and remember the death and suffering of Jesus Christ and the new covenant we have in him. This morning during the prayer time, Erica uh, did two things. We asked God to search our hearts and we confessed our sin to God and asked God to reorient us and point us back to the, the fruit of the Spirit. And I just want to give you a chance to just prepare your hearts right now. Just take a moment and, and thank God and accept his forgiveness and accept his grace. Now let's remember the new covenant that Jesus made with us. We are forgiven people, born again, new creations, people with a new hope, a future, people of the kingdom of God, people of the gospel community. That's who you are. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the, tup, the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. What I'm going to do is at this time, I'm going to ask uh, you guys to come forward. We at Waypoint practice something. If I get the servers to come forward, the hand sanitizers at the stations. Um, and we practice something called intinction here at Waypoint. It's a more participatory way of, of doing the Lord's Supper, and it allows you to come forward. Um, if you're in this aisle, you're going to, in this section, you're going to come here and come to this station. If you guys will come to this station, uh, you guys over there will come to, uh, that station and, and you guys will come to that station. And what you're going to do is you're going to take a, you'll be handed a, a cracker and, and you'll dip it in the juice. You can eat it immediately or you can take it back to your seat and take time to reflect. If you are going to take it back to your seat, you might want to just barely dip it just so you're not dripping juice everywhere but there's no right or wrong way to do it we're just coming to the lord's table to remember uh if you feel like you need to um you you don't want to come forward for health reasons or other reasons at back in that corner and in that corner there are individual stations with some hand sanitizer and you can take one of the little individual cups and uh and bread and participate that way so you guys can rise and let's partake and remember the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Jesus.